Well, good morning and welcome to Catalyst Online. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Catalyst Christian Church uh, from Nicholsville, Kentucky. We want to welcome everybody who's joining us this morning from Central Kentucky, Nicholsville, Lexington, Georgetown, Berea. We want to welcome all the people that are joining us from E-Town and Bowling Green, uh, from the states of Alabama, uh, South Carolina, uh, Virginia. Uh, welcome. Uh, thank you for California, Arizona. Uh, Ohio. We even have a person from Canada joining us. We have per- people from Honduras and uh, all our folks in India, Pakistan, Hong Kong. Thank you all for joining us this morning. We love you and you guys are part of our church. Well, we are starting a brand new series today. Um, it's called Big Questions. Big Questions. These are the, we're going to tackle the nine greatest intellectual objections to Christianity and see if there is any response to them. Um, today we are tackling the very very first one, and it is the foundation of this series of foundation of the Christian faith, and is simply this. Is there any reason to believe in the resurrection? The main thing is uh, today is all explanations for the empty tomb fall short except one. Um, when I was a young college student, I was also a very young Christian, and um, I, I was completely unprepared, not just for the behavior of my teammates and my fraternity brothers, some of whom are watching right now, um, but also for the intellectual challenges to my new faith. Um, to say that I was, I, I was struggling is an understatement. It's a classic bringing a knife to a gunfight. Well, I didn't even bring a knife to a gunfight. I, I brought bare hands to a gunfight, and, and, I, and I, got, I got slaughtered. I really did. I floundered and I struggled, and then I landed on something that I could stand on. Uh, it, it was something that could withstand the intellectual rigors of college and could, and could stand up to everything, and it was this. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, the foundation of Christianity is the resurrection. There is no Christianity without the resurrection. If they were able to find the body of Jesus... If somehow they were able to find it and prove that it was the body of Jesus, I would abandon the Christian faith tonight. I would would abandon it now. I would not go to look at other faiths. I would not investigate the Buddhist faith or the Muslim faith or the, the Hindu faith or the Jewish faith as close as it is to Christianity. I would become an atheist overnight. I would walk away from God and all religion because uh, um, uh, everything has to do with the resurrection. If they could find the body of Jesus, I would walk away. And I would hope you would join me. Um, but, uh, and you say, well, that's pretty shaky ground. Well, not really. Because there is so much evidence so much solid, provable evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can have, uh, um, we, we can be sure that, uh, that, that we are, that we are uh, following the truth. So for the entirety of my belief in God and Jesus and who I am as a Christian rests on the, uh, uh, on the resurrection. Um, Psalm 18, 2 through 3 says this, The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, Paul, the Apostle Paul says this, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. If the resurrection is false, Christianity is false. So is there any reason, intellectual reason, to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, yes, there is. 
Now, the starting point for this, we have to start, we have to start at this point right here, that the tomb was empty. Now, the Christian faith began in Jerusalem. That was where Jesus was crucified. Everyone knew what had gone on. It was a public execution. Everybody knew Jesus was crucified. Everybody knew where the tomb was, okay? So Christianity began in Jerusalem right where the tomb was. And the earliest Christian preaching was that the tomb was empty and Jesus was resurrected. That was it, okay? So this was not like um, uh, some foreign, some far-off land. Uh, the Christianity didn't start in, in America or in Europe where, where they couldn't go see the tomb. It started in Jerusalem. And so the question that is indisputable, the, 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 the fact that's indisputable is that the tomb was empty. If it, if there, if, if there was a body in there, the people could just go to the tomb and see the body of Jesus, and Christianity would have died out like all other thousands of religions that were around at the time. Uh, but it didn't, because the tomb was empty. Now the question is, how did the tomb get empty? Now there are four um, uh, 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 alternative explanations for the empty tomb, and we're gonna talk to every single one of them. The first one is this, and this is the most common one, and actually the, the, the most believable one. The first one is this, is that the disciples stole the body. We're, we're, we're just throwing out the fact that Jesus is resurrected for right now, and the, the first objection was the disciples stole the body. They followed Jesus, they had uh, committed their lives to him, and when he was killed, they just couldn't stand it, so they, they stole the body, and they went out and told everybody that the tomb was empty to perpetuate uh, what they'd invested their lives in. Um, that, that's the first objection. Uh, Matthew 27, 62-65 records this. It says this, Next day, one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, meaning Jesus, said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. Okay, so the first problem that we have with this theory is this. There was a guard detail. Now, a Roman guard detail consisted of between 12 and 16 soldiers. These soldiers had been taken from their parents at age 12 and, and put into military training and trained to do one thing, which was to, to defend a three-foot by four-foot square uh, uh, rectangle of ground against an advancing enemy. They were trained to kill. They were trained to, uh, uh, to, to do warfare. That's all they were doing. Um, if a prisoner uh, w w who was being guarded by Roman soldiers escaped, the Roman soldiers were killed. That was policy. So the, the Roman soldiers had a lot of incentive to not let things, not let their prisoners escape. So they would have been on, on, uh, on, 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 on guard. But let's just say that they fell asleep and the disciples sneaked by them. We run into the second problem with this. There was a huge rock in front of the tomb. Now, I've seen pictures of this, of how they used to, they used to cut tombs into the Jerusalem hillside, and they would uh, fashion a groove, a sharp downhill groove like this, that they would put a one-ton to two-ton stone in this groove, and, would, and they, they would keep it, uh, they, they would put a rock there to keep it from going down, and then when the body was put in, they'd take the rock, and it would roll down in this groove. 
um, and then they would put another rock there, and they would fill, um, they make it airtight with a, a, a crude cement made of mud and pebbles and some other things to seal it. They wanted it to be sealed because it, they wanted it to be airtight because it would smell really bad after a while if it wasn't, so it was airtight. There was this huge one to two ton stone in a downhill groove um, secured with cement. So let's say that they were able to get past the Roman guard detail, how are they going to move the stone without waking them up? They, they wouldn't be able to move that thing without waking up half of Jerusalem, let alone 12 to 16 guards. But let's just say they did. Let's say that they were able to get past the Roman guard detail and move the stone without waking up anyone. Let's just say that they did. Well, here comes the third problem with this. Every one of these disciples, except John, John was the only disciple that died of natural causes. Every one of these disciples died horrific, awful deaths. Um, and so they, uh, uh, the, the Peter was crucified upside down on a Roman cross. Andrew was skinned alive and crucified so that the buzzards were eating him, eating his flesh while he was still alive. Thomas was torn apart by an angry mob. John, even though he died of natural causes, was boiled in oil, left to freeze on a frozen pond, ex exiled to the island of Patmos. Uh, it, but he, he just didn't die. He, all these horrific things happened to him. All these disciples faced these things. And yet, not once, for 70 years, did even one of them break and say, okay, we did it, it was a hoax. We stole the body. Not one, not one of them did that. Um, Pastor Chuck Colson has a unique take on this. He was part of the Nixon uh, administration, and when news of Watergate broke, uh, all, he said, all of us advisors got together and we said, no one goes to the FBI. No one goes to the CIA. We stand together. We will either stay together or we will fall together. Well, as heat intensified and more and more evidence came out, Chuck Colson said there was, they got word that one of their aides, one of their friends, had gone to the FBI to, uh, to, uh, to give his story in exchange for clemency. And he said it was a mad rush. It was like the Kentucky Derby running to the FBI to give their story so they could get clemency too. And he said this. He said, here we were, the 12 most powerful men in the world, and we couldn't keep a lie going for three weeks. He said, are you telling me that a ragtag bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, and carpenters were able to sustain a lie for 70 years without one of them breaking? One, he said, impossible. There's only one reason for the disciples' actions, that they face these mobs and they face horrific deaths and torture and, and imprisonment and everything, is that it, they believed Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And you say this, but say, Dave, people die for their faith all the time. I mean, even the 9-11 hijackers died for their faith, supposedly. I mean, people do that all the time. doesn't make it right. Well, that, that would be true except for one point except for one very strong point. The people will, will die for their faith if they genuinely believe it to be true, but no one will die for their faith if they know it is false. See, the 9-11 hijackers died for their faith, but they didn't know if Muhammad was, was, was true or not, okay? They weren't there. They, they, Muhammad had died many, many years, uh, uh, centuries ago. These disciples had the, they, they had the first-hand knowledge of whether or not Jesus was resurrected. They had the truth, and they acted like it. They weren't going to die 
for a lie. They knew it. Um, they knew it to be true. And, uh, and so we can, we can pretty much throw out, because it doesn't pass the intellectual test, there's no way the disciples could have snuck past the Roman guard, moved a two-ton stone, um, and, and maintained a lie for 70 years uh, without any one of them breaking. There's, there's, it's, it's, it, that, that is intellectually ridiculous. There's no way it could have happened. Okay, so the, the second possibility that the, of the tomb being empty is that Jesus never died. This is possibility number two. Jesus never died. Um, he, was, he fainted on the cross, people say, and he, uh, it's called the swoon theory. He, 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 he fainted on the cross, and he appeared to be dead, and when they put him in the tomb, the cool air of the tomb revived him, and he walked out of the tomb, and people proclaimed him to be resurrected from the dead. That's the second possibility. Well, the, in John 19, 33 through 34, it says this, but when they came to Jesus and found he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Okay, so the first problem with this theory is that thousands, if not tens of thousands of people were crucified, and there's no record of this being an inefficient way of execution. There's no uh, um, a record of people surviving crucifixion in large numbers. It, it just didn't happen, okay? Roman soldiers knew the difference between someone who was alive and someone who was dead. They were soldiers. They were trained to kill. That's what they were supposed to do. That's all they knew. They were very good at what they did. And so uh, that, that simply didn't happen. Um, physicians, however, who have studied the rigors of, cru of crucifixion, I invite you to go look it up on YouTube, it's fascinating, about what actually happens during crucifixion, uh, tell us that the condemned person actually asphyxiates because of position, they can't exhale um, because of the, the paralyzing of the diaphragm because of, of, the, of, of crucifixion. And, that, and, and so uh, that's why the breaking of the legs of the condemned person sped up the death because they would actually push up uh, to take the, the pressure off of their, their chest and shoulders so they could exhale, okay? And, and uh, uh, on a grim side note, that's also one of the reasons why the Romans uh, flogged the back so that when the prisoners pushed up, their, their back would rub against the roughness of the cross and cause pain. Everything in crucifixion was designed to have maximum amount of pain. But because of the gathering carbon dioxide in the body medically, um, Jesus' heart would have been beating very, very, very fast. And because of this, because of the stress on the heart, there would have been fluid built up around the heart. This is a condition known as pericardial effusion. It signifies that death is very near. It is present in, 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 in death. And so when the soldier pierced Jesus' side, it would have brought on a sudden flow of blood and water, that the water was the pericardial effusion. So, um, but, but let's just say that, that Jesus wasn't, didn't die during crucifixion, and that he survived the spear thrust, and they put him in the tomb. Let's just say that he did, say he survived that, all right? Well, Here's, here's, here's the next objection. He would have died of blood loss. Roman, the, the scourging and the flogging, he would have died of blood loss a long time before he could have revived. But let's just say he didn't die of blood loss. Let's say he didn't. Um, the next problem is he had nails through his feet. He couldn't have walked out of the tomb because the, the spike would have broken, would have separated bones, not broken bones, but separated them and made it unable to walk. But let's just say that he was able to walk. Well, how does one man, the next problem is how does one man who has been flogged 
within an inch of his life, who's been crucified, who's had a, a spear shoved in, into his side, and who has had nails through his feet and hands move a one to two ton stone out of the way without waking up a Roman guard detail. This is it's impossible. This makes no intellectual sense. But let's just say he did. Let's say that he survived crucifixion. Let's say that he was able to walk even though he had nails through his, through his feet. Let's say that he didn't die of blood loss. Let's say that, that he was able to move with one to two sunstone without waking up uh, Roman guards. If he appeared to the disciples, his disciples would have taken him and nursed him back to health, not gone out and proclaimed him the risen king who defeated death. So this, this swoon theory um, is intellectually improbable. Uh, so the disciples didn't steal the body. That, that does not pass the intellectual test. He did not uh, swoon on the cross. He didn't, he didn't uh, uh, come revive in the tomb because of the cool air and everything. That, that's not what happened. Well, the third theory gets a little more far-fetched. Possibility number three is that the disciples went to the wrong tomb. You know, they, they, it says here, uh, Luke 24, 2 through 6, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. Well, they could have gone to the wrong tomb seen it empty, and then gone out and proclaimed that Jesus was resurrected. Well, it's very easy to discount that one because the, the location of the tomb was known to the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities, and they did not want this, this, uh, uh, this, this to be true. And so they would have gladly taken the people to the right tomb and said, here, and here's the body. So that, that, that obviously is not, doesn't pass the intellectual test. And the fourth possibility that has been floated out there, probably in just desperation, is that space aliens abducted him. And uh, that, that I don't, unfortunately don't have a scripture reference for that because it's so outlandish. There's no proof of that. Uh, and so we, don't, we, just dis, we just dismiss that. So if the disciples didn't steal the body, that Jesus didn't swoon on the cross and, and didn't uh, survive crucifixion and revive in the tomb, if the, if the disciples didn't go to the wrong tomb and aliens didn't abduct him, what are we left with? Logically, what are we left with? That's the question. How do we explain the empty tomb? It's only, to my knowledge, there's only one explanation. It's possibility number five, and that is Jesus is who he said he is. John 14, six through seven, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Uh, um, the, uh, the, the Professor Sir Norman Anderson, who's a professor at Princeton University, Harvard University, the current dean of faculty of University of London, said this, the empty tomb then forms a veritable rock on which all rationalistic theories of the resurrection dash themselves in vain. And there is no intellectual explanation for the empty tomb other than Jesus is who he says he is. I can find no logical reason the tomb was empty except that Jesus is who he claimed to be. If Jesus were God, I wouldn't think that the resurrection from the dead could be all that odd. He's God. 
He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the firstborn over all creation, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God. That is the most likely, the most intellectual possibility or reason for the empty tomb. It's about time that we as Christians start standing on that truth. That is the truth. And it can be intellectually defended by anyone uh, who hears this message. Whenever you doubt, whenever you despair, go back to the beginning, go back to the rock, go back to the resurrection and the empty tomb and that there is no explanation for it other than Jesus is who he says he is. No matter what this world throws at you, no matter, uh, uh, no matter what the world throws at me, cannot shake the resurrection. No matter how the wind blows, how the storms crash, it cannot move that rock and therefore cannot move the man or woman who stands on that rock of the resurrection. This is the truth that I have built my life and my beliefs, my actions, my identity, everything on. If somehow they were to find the body of Jesus, if somehow we were to prove that wrong, that he was not resurrected, I'd walk away from the faith and from God, from the church immediately. But that's the only reason I would because that is the foundation of Christianity. I heard the sad news about the lead singer of Hawk Nelson, a Christian rock group. Uh, he's walking away from his faith. He's a pastor's kid. I don't know what is in his past, but I would love to sit down and talk with him about this very topic. I would like to ask him, why is the tomb empty? You're about to walk, you're walking away from your faith. I get that, you know, whatever, but can you tell me why the tomb is empty? And I would like to hear what he would have to say. I mean, can you tell me, lead singer of Hawk Nelson, can you tell me that you found the body of Jesus? Can, can you tell me that? Is there an explanation for it? Because I'd like to hear that. Uh, I said, I would like to say, or are you walking away because of something else? You, know, you don't feel it, maybe. The church let you down. Maybe a pastor turned out not to be genuine. Maybe you don't like what the Bible says. You know, something like that. But none of those reasons are reasons to walk away from God. All right, or, or from the Christian faith. Because unless you have an answer for the empty tomb, why it's empty other than Jesus is who he, who he says he is, you have a major intellectual problem walking away from the faith. But beyond our intellect, the resurrection gives us hope. It doesn't just appeal to our minds. The resurrection doesn't just, doesn't just satisfy our minds and our intellectual curiosity. The, the resurrection satisfies our emotions as well. Uh, John 6.40 says this, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son of God and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. It gives us hope. Uh, I, I've got news for us, you guys, and it's bad news, is that at some point, every one of us is going to die. The death rate is 100% if you live long enough. All of us have, lost, have seen people die. We've lost loved ones. And, and all of us are going to continue to see loved ones die until the day of our death. It is coming. It is going to be here. Many people fear death. But the Bible, however, tells us not to. And why? Because of the resurrection. Uh, Jesus has provided an answer to that death. Um, uh, Professor Gary Habermas is an expert on the resurrection and, uh, and its evidence. He's taught for years and years about the evidence for it. And he shared his testimony in the book, A Case for Christ, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He writes this, I remember sitting on my front porch. My wife, Debbie, was upstairs dying of cancer. It was the worst thing that could possibly happen. But you know what? My students would call me up and say, at a time like this, 
aren't you glad for the resurrection? At a time like this, aren't you glad for the resurrection? As sober as those circumstances, he, uh, as sober circumstances were, he says, I had to smile for two reasons. One, my students were trying to cheer me up with my own teaching. And two, it worked. I realize the resurrection says that if Jesus was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, there's an answer for Debbie's death in 1995. It was a horribly emotional time for me, he wrote, but I can't, couldn't get around the fact that the resurrection was the answer for her suffering. I still worried, how will I raise four kids without my wife's help? Uh, but there was, it wasn't a time that the truth of the resurrection didn't comfort me. Losing my wife, he writes, was the most painful experience I've ever had to face. But if the resurrection could get me through that, it could get me through anything. It was good for 30 A.D., it was good for 1995, and it's good beyond that. That's not some sermon, he said. I believe that with all my heart. If there's a resurrection, then there's a heaven. And if, if Jesus was raised, then Debbie was raised, and I will be someday too. Then I'll see them both. The resurrection gives us hope. My first experience, really, with death, other than a few pets, was the death of my grandfather in 1996, in February of 1996. I was a senior in college. And, um, and I can remember being there uh, and, and seeing my grandfather, who I dearly loved. His body was there, but he wasn't there. And I can remember my grandmother, who was a, a, a strong, strong, strong woman of faith, watching her, her husband of 51 years, in the last years of his life, um, dealing with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, watching him uh, from this big, uh, strong, depression-era, World War II vet, uh, pulled himself up by his bootstraps-type person, uh, always took care of himself and everybody else, and uh, kind of wasting away to weighing 90 pounds and, and laying in bed and, and, and just watch, watching him slowly deteriorate like that. Every morning she would open up the Bible and read Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. It's become a family verse for us. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For, it, for his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And as she would draw strength from the fact that God is always doing something new. She would, she would talk about the resurrection. She would, she would talk to me about the hope that she had in Jesus because Jesus had conquered the grave. One these, when, when her husband died, that there was an answer for his death and for his suffering with these diseases. And, and, and there was so much hope and so much, uh, like the hymn says, strength for today and hope for tomorrow. See, the resurrection doesn't just appeal to us intellectually. It also appeals to us emotionally, and it gives us the hope and the strength to face another day, to even deal with such a terrible subject as death. Um, it, it's amazing to see the amount of fear that people have of death, of dying, and yet the resurrection answers the fundamental question, the fundamental question, the fundamental problem that we as humans face, which is death. There's an answer for it. Psalm 18, 2 through 3 says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. 
One of the problems that I see as a pastor is that Christians don't stand on the resurrection. They stand on a feeling. Do I feel close to God? Do I like what is going on here? Do I like this worship song? Do I like this? But, and, and when the music isn't what they want or life goes bad or something, they're, they're foundation is knocked out from underneath them. Jesus told a parable about a man who built his house on a rock and, he, and, and another man built his house on sand. And when the storms came up and the, the waves crashed and the wind rose up, the one on the rock stood secure because he had his house built on a rock. But the, uh, the person who built his house on sand, because the foundation was terrible, it crashed with a great, with a, with a great sound. So my question is, are you anchored on the rock? Are you anchored on the truth of the resurrection? Do, I, I believe that the resurrection is the most provable event in human history, and I believe it's by, that way by design. I believe that God gave us that for a reason, because whenever you are tempted, whenever you are tested, whenever life hits you in the mouth, you can always go back to the resurrection and build from there. So many times I've, won, I've thought about leaving the ministry or walking away from it all and just chucking it all because of a, some type of a crisis or some type of something that I'm dealing with and the Lord always takes me back to the resurrection, the fact that the resurrection is true, the tomb is empty, and it's empty because Jesus is who he said he is. And from that point, I begin building back up. If you are ever struggling, don't go to a feeling. Don't go to an emotion. Don't go to anything other than the resurrection because that is your strong foundation. That is what you build your life on. That is what you build your faith in Jesus on. There is no intellectual explanation for the empty tomb other than the resurrection. Nothing else passes the logic test. So my prayer for you watching this today is that if you are struggling or when you are, because it's coming, your, your struggle is coming. If, it, if you're not doing it right now, you're going to, is that you will retreat back to the resurrection and start building from there because that is like building your house on the rock. God bless you. Thank you for joining us this morning. Contact us if you need prayer, if you want to become a Christian. If you want to discuss faith, we would love to hear from you. Contact us, and, if, and other than that, we will see you next week. God bless.